There couldn't possibly be a jockey in Australia who's riding any stronger and with more judgment and purpose than Brisbane's Jim Byrne. A four-time Premiership winner himself, Jim's had to play second fiddle to the remarkable veteran Jeff Lloyd over the last couple of seasons, and he'll chase him home again this year. Although 10 years younger than Lloyd, Jim Byrne goes to extraordinary lengths to keep himself fit, and he currently does four gymnasium sessions a week, and they're pretty tough sessions too. Jim is also devoting a lot of his spare time to the establishment of a small business designed to give him a career when his riding days are over. Let's talk to the bloke who was advised by one of his school teachers to consider a career as a jockey. Jim Byrne, that teacher was a pretty good judge. Yeah, John, he was. <laughs> he, um, he actually uh, realised that uh, I, I wasn't really focused on my schooling. Mm. Um, and you know he was quite fortunate. He was very fortunate for myself that he that he was. Uh, you know, it, it just goes to show how important it is to uh, for, for our teachers to mm. to mould and 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 to kind of direct where uh, their students are going. And I was just very very fortunate that uh, this teacher, because I had an interest in 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 racing, mm. um, he you know he was able to give give. Uh, Give me the direction, and, and and actually went out of his way to actually get in touch with Pat Duff and and and, and what to give me that work experience, and it, it went on from there. Your size came against your gym with pretty well everything you tried as a youngster, uh, motocross, even football. You fancied football, but uh, you were getting knocked about too much. I, I fancied myself as a footballer. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if everyone else did, but uh, you know, I, I thought I did okay and. Uh, it, uh, everyone just kept continually got bigger and bigger, and yeah. uh, with the motocross, I, I thought I was going to be some sort of star on the motocross. And mm. after my first race, it, I realised that probably wasn't going to eventuate. <laughs> Jim, you were very lucky to get a start straight off the top with the man you mentioned a moment ago, Pat Duff, a very good horse trainer and a great tutor of apprentice jockeys. Now, you weren't the only high-profile jockey to come through the Pat Duff yard. No, look, you know, one thing I've got to say about Pat is uh, he's been extremely beneficial to any apprentice that's ever gone to him. Mm. Um, he's tried to direct them, and, you know, I've got to pay a lot of credit to, to Dinah Duff. Uh, mm. when, I, when I actually went to Pat, I, I never knew how to ride at all. Yeah. Um, Dinah spent a lot of time trying to help me go through and, and uh, help me uh, learn to ride, and, and obviously with Pat's directing, uh, you know when it's when it's right to jump on a, a proper racehorse. Because mm. uh, very early on, I was only ever on, on ponies, uh, and you know as soon as Pat said, "Okay, well, you know, we'll try and put him on," and he he made sure that I wasn't uh, thrown in the deep end too quickly. So he's he's yeah. been extremely extremely helpful to my career early on. Yep. Well, Jim, Mick Dittman did part of his apprenticeship with Pat Duff and Michael Pelling was another top rider to come through the Pat Duff tutorship. Yeah, correct. Uh, uh, Michael was a stable rider at the time um, for, for Pat. And, uh, I never actually realised, I actually thought uh, uh, Mick Pelling was uh, Mick Dittman and uh, I always recall asking, um, asking Mick for advice and you know, he was probably my my biggest uh, my biggest mentor early on because mm. um, I just thought he was an amazing rider and uh, you know 
Pat, again, he directed, he, you know, he kind of tutored him all the way through mm. his apprenticeship. And um, McDipman, of course, everyone knows McDipman. He was, uh, he was yeah. just a, a, a miracle worker. Yes. Well, 28 years on and you've accumulated well over 2,000 winners. You've won four Brisbane Jockeys Premierships. Let's look at some of the horses who've helped Jim Byrne along the way. One of your favourites is Adam. Only a little fellow, an entire by Rubiton. He finished racing in 2001 with a record of 12 wins, 7 seconds, 10 thirds, almost $2 million in prize money. And your very first ride on Adam was in the 1999 Doombin 10,000 and you were beaten a whisker by Laurie's Lottery. And it was by Michael, uh, Michael Pelling. Mm. Actually, rode Laurie's Lottery. He... Um uh, he was an amazing little horse. Uh, he, he, he had that real bulldog sort of attitude. To, he, he bounced out of the machines, put himself straight on the speed. Uh, basically, he directed where you're going. He he he, uh, uh, he travelled so strongly in the race that when you give him a squeeze, he he would accelerate real quick. And yeah. um, you know, that uh, at Doomben that day, I actually thought he he was home. And uh, obviously, Laurie Fottery. Got over on top of him, but he was mm. he was um, you know he he was just brave in defeat. Yeah, you protested. I protested. Yeah. Uh, back then I wasn't real that that great in the room. I didn't really uh, I wasn't really helping the horse in the room. I think uh, uh, I did my best, but unfortunately, uh, you know, I uh, couldn't speak as good as I probably should have. And uh, yeah. you know, Laurie's lottery whilst he beat me. Uh, I was able to come out, and I think if he if he won the ten thousand or won the protest that day, mm. uh, he probably doesn't come out and win the Stradbroke uh, yeah, because he point. would have been re handicapped. Yep. Uh, and sure enough, he only won the Stradbroke. I think by a uh, long neck, maybe something mm. like that. Well, after the ten thousand, he ran in the BTC Sprint. You ran third there. Then he won the Stradbroke. Now, Jim, just to give you a recollection of what an open race the Stradbroke was that year. Adam started at six dollars fifty, and he was favourite. Yeah, well, it was a tough race that year. There was pretty good speed. Um, the horse of Kay Tinsley has actually led the race, and uh, Adam bounced I think from three, maybe. Uh, he had a pretty good gait, and uh, he put himself straight on the speed. And um, the horse that ran second led the race, but only had forty nine or City fifty kilos. City Fair, yeah, yeah, City Fair, that's correct. Mm. Um, and he'd give a pretty good kick at, at the top of the straight, and I didn't want to chase him down too early. I wanted to make sure that I got to him around about the 100 out. And, yeah. Uh, <laughs> just in the back of your mind, you're thinking, um, he's got a pretty good pull in the weights on me, and I, I, I didn't, I knew that City Fair would continue to kick, but, uh, you know, that Adam, that bulldog sort of, sort of, Thing that he had going, mm. uh, you know, he really dug deep, and it, it was a it was a strong strong win in the end because he was actually drawing mm. away from City Fair. Yeah, you rode him quite a number of times after that Stradbroke. You won a Theo Marks quality on him at Rose Hill. That was a Group Two. He ran third in the George Main. He ran second in an Expressway, second in an Apollo Stake, second in a Chipping Norton. You rode him in twelve races altogether, so you had a wonderful combination with him. Yeah, look, he's again. He was just one of those horses. I think uh, 
really started to put you into the uh, into those good races, and uh, it was just I don't know. He, he was he was one of those horses that you were always going to be assured that he was going to give you the best he's got, and mm-hmm. uh, that's what he did. You had four rides, Jim, on a terrific little grey mare called Gold Edition, whose overall record was thirty-seven starts, seventeen wins, thirteen placings. She won about three million. Your very first ride on Gold Edition was a Group One win at Flemington in the Ascot Vale Stakes. That would have been a thrill. It was, uh, uh, you know, Ronnie Morn, he gave me a call and he actually told me that uh, uh, I was going to get the opportunity to ride her and another horse of his that he was going forward into uh, the Melbourne Cup. Mm. I called called Ice Chariot and uh, whilst I was wrapped to ride uh, her, Mm. I thought Ice Chariot, you know, just the ride in the Melbourne Cup would have been Amazing, and uh, being on her, I mean, she was a, a pretty smart sprinter at the time. And mm. uh, you know, my, watching her all the way through, I thought that she was, you know, a very speedy horse, but she could be a little bit vulnerable late. And mm. um, you know, that day it was just such an easy, easy race for her because of she just bounced out, she relaxed so nice. Mm. It's a beautiful straight down at Flemington and, and, and you're able to just get her into that nice rhythm, breathing perfectly. And, mm. um, she was just way too strong that day. It was just such a nice win and it was a big, big thrill. Obviously, uh, my first group one in Melbourne, it was just a huge, huge thrill. Oh, of course. You won a listed race on it too during that carnival, a race called the Swept Stakes. Then back in Brisbane a month later, she won a three-year-old Phillies quality and then you ran second in the Vaux Rogue Plate and you didn't get to ride her again? No, uh, in the Burrow Plate, uh, Ron actually asked me to try and give her a, a rider to get that journey because she was going, I think, uh, on to, I can't recall the race she was going on to after. Uh, mm. It may have been the straight broke or something like that, but yeah. Ron asked me to try and cover her up and you know, make her switch off. Mm. And I was very confident that I was going to be able to do that. Uh, unfortunately, it never turned out that way. Uh, the, the leaders, uh, I put her in behind. The leaders backed a tempo right off and she started over-racing. And mm. When I tried to, uh, I think it was Zach Curtin may have been outside, uh, outside yeah. me at the time. And I, uh, he gave me that half a horse room where I could put a, put a head through. And sure enough, I mean, that's just tactics that happens in races. And, Mm. Uh, when I tried to put her head in, 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 in the gap, Zach, sure enough, closed it off and it started to get, you know, you start having to hold your ground sort of scenario. But mm. unfortunately, I was taken off on there after that and, uh, you know, she went on and she won a few more races. But, uh, you know, she was fantastic for me as well. I was so appreciative of Rod giving the opportunity of the rider. Yeah. Peter Moody had a very good staying filly in the winter of 2008 by the name of Reva San. Now, she won the Oaks up there, ridden by Scott Seymour. A week later, she runs in the Derby, and Jim Byrne got the ride. What happened to Scott Seymour? I think Scott got suspended on her in the, uh, the Oaks. Um, and uh, I'd, I'd ridden for Peter, pretty much doing a lot of his riding when he was up here in Queensland. Mm. Uh, so I, I had a pretty good association with Peter prior to jumping on her in the, in, in the Derby. And, Mm. Uh, my manager called me up at the time and said that Scott Seymour had got suspended and uh, he was chasing up the ride on her and I was over the moon about it and I 
well, I think Peter was maybe over, holidaying over in Europe or, or, or somewhere like that. And mm. uh, I was, uh, you know, fortunate enough to be able to get on her. And she was one of those horses uh, that, uh, you know, can travel a little bit stronger in the races. And my my uh, instructions were just to cover her up and give her an opportunity. And I switched her off and, and she relaxed really good in the run. And uh, I was another horse that... Uh, when you ask her to go, those typical Group One horses, they have that. They, they have those gears where they just continually wind up. And mm. I remember on the day that um, when Scott Seymour won the Oaks on her, uh, he didn't really overtax her with the whip or anything like that. And he uh, he just continually picked her up and picked her up, and she got stronger and stronger. And so um, that was my you know mindset is just to make sure that she travels travels yeah. well on the race. And when I go for her, don't try to overtax her too early. Because she gives you pretty much all everything, and you know, you know, she went on to win mm. uh, the Derby, and um, you know, unfortunate for Scott, but lucky for me. Jim, not many fillies win the Oaks and the Derby in the space of two weeks, but sadly, she never won again after that. She had thirteen more starts and never won again. Yeah, well, it's. I think, uh, uh, you know, it is pretty taxing on them. Um, I'm not sure what she did there after it, whether whether she went on to start or whatnot. I haven't mm. really paid too much attention to that, but, uh, you know, everyone knows how good Peter Moody as, as a trainer would, uh, was. Mm. Um, so, you know, I was extremely appreciative. Now, in the winter of last year, you received a big surprise when Peter Snowden asked you to ride Red Zell in the Doombin 10,000. And this was the horse's first Group 1 win. Now, Jim, were you on his back long enough to judge whether or not he's the best horse you've ever ridden? <laughs> I rode him track work, yeah. and I was just over the moon about being on him in the 10,000. Um, it's moving, moving the 10,000 to... Uh, it was just moving on into the 10,000. I was just extremely confident that the horse was going to be able mm. to win the race. Mm. Um, but very, very difficult, those sort of races. Everything can win the race. Um, uh, but he was one of those horses, I think, very similar to Adam, where he jumps out, puts himself on speed. And, um, as he, He's definitely by far the best horse I've ever ridden. Yeah. Um, he's gone on and he's won so many group ones now. Uh, I think he's won five, I think, now. Uh, it's just a, one of those horses that continually improves. Uh, he got beat this year uh, in the 10,000, but he credited himself very, very well. Um, and, you know, he's, he's, he, he won the Everest uh, after he actually, uh, the inaugural Everest after he won the 10,000. So, you know, he's by far the best sprinter I've ridden. Well, he's pocketed $8.7 million so far, thanks to the Everest uh, in the main, and there's more to come. Now, Jim, here's another Group 1, the JJ Atkins at Doombin. You rode a horse called Capital Gain for trainer Paul Butterworth. Yeah, um, I only had a fit on him prior to uh, the JJ. Uh, he he's, was a horse that... Uh, uh, didn't really know how to travel underneath horses too well. He he actually gets a little bit uh, a little bit uh, wayward when he's underneath him, a little bit field shy. Mm. And when I rode him, I said to Paul that I thought that the horse probably would benefit from blinkers. And 
it's probably one of those things that most trainers don't like doing too much, especially mm. going into a group one. But Paul was brave enough to to put the blinkers on for the first time in the in the uh, JJ, and mm. um, I was just so so glad that uh, and relieved uh, that we're actually able to win the race uh, because the horse relaxed well. I was able to get that that rhythm with the horse, and and he he was uh, very very strong late. Um, you know, he hasn't subsequently won a race thereafter, but, uh, you know, he got the one that counted anyway. You got to ride General Nadim as a four-year-old. You had six rides on him in all. You ran second in the Apollo Stakes, second in the Expressway Stakes. You won the Magic Millions Cup three-year-olds and upwards in 1999. Uh, Clary Connors had him uh, towards the end of his career. How did you get on him at that stage? Well, when he first started his career uh, as a racehorse, uh, Brooks Swanton used to ride him work. Uh, he was actually with Peter Peter Moody and Bill Mitchell at the time at Eagle Farm, and um, I used to Peter used to tell me how good of a horse he was. I never ever got the opportunity. I think Mick Dippman was riding at the time, mm. and uh, uh, he, he'd come out. He won the Magic Millions uh, two roll, and uh, he then moved from Peter Moody to Clary Connors. Um, I don't exactly know what transpires there, but, uh, you know, he, when he went to Clary Connors, I was able to get the opportunity. Ron Ashdown uh, was good enough to give me the opportunity to ride the horse. And um, my first uh, ride on him, I think I got beat at Mooney Valley, one of the good races at Mooney Valley on him. Uh, he went out the very, very short price favourite. And I had a good run through the race, so... Just just travelled along nice, but the horse never finished the race off at all. No. Um, and he went subsequently to the Magic Means. I think thereafter, he may have had one extra start, but uh, went to the fourteen hundred metres Magic Means day, the Magic Means Cup, and uh, you know he was. I think he nearly broke the course record that day. Um, oh, he flew that day, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, it was a very very strong win, uh, and he won. He won by probably four. So it was a. Uh, yeah. you know, I just I was very fortunate that uh, um, when he did move from Peter, I'm not saying that Peter was keeping me off the horse or anything like that because I did a lot of riding for Peter. But um, I think Mick Dippman was one of those guys that works the owners very well, works the train very well, and uh, I was never able to get a sit on him while he was with uh, uh, with Peter. And uh, I was, mm. when he went to when he went to Clary, I was I was fortunate enough to be able to get on him. What a strong little horse he was, Jim. I'll never forget the first time I saw him at Bill Mitchell's Randwick Stables. Uh, not the tallest horse in the world, but as round as an apple, compact and very, very strong. Did he give you that feeling of strength when you were riding him? He was built like a tank, John. He mm. was uh, on his back. He just, like most, most colts, uh, most stallions, they're, they're very broad across the shoulders. Well, he was that. He was that. He, Mm. He was just like a tank. Yeah. You've ridden five winners in a day on five occasions, twice at Doombin. Now, you've got to try and strike a bit of form in the near future to emulate Craig Williams' performance at Flemington the other day uh, with six winners at a Saturday Metro meeting, but you've gone awfully close five times. Yeah, I, um, uh, I, he, he's a guru, but he's... So professional, um, and you know, big congratulations to him. It's a it's a marvellous feat. Um, yeah, I, I've 
tried tried my best to every time I go out to give them every possible chance. And you know, credit's got to go to your manager as well. I mean, like they, you try to try to uh, make sure that they uh, get you the right rides and push for the right rides. But they they're the ones that have got to chase just as much as I do. And um, you know, Craig's got a great team behind him. Uh, myself, I tried trying to make sure I'm as professional as possible and I know my form and hopefully, uh, you know, I can get that little bit more, uh, little bit more luck and, you know, who knows. Who knows, knows exactly. That's what racing's all about. Who knows? Now, Jim, yes, the correct. Ipswich Cup has been uh, your race. You've won it three times. You ride Ipswich very well. Yeah, I've been second in a couple of times too. So mm. it's, uh, yeah, look, Ipswich is a track, I think, um, if you understand the, the layout of the track, uh, people think that it's just a, just a circular track, but whereas in fact it's not. Um, from the half mile all the way through to about the four, four, 400, it's only got a very short straight, like a filling and a half straight. Um, so if you understand the layout of the track uh, from the half mile to about the 400, uh, there's a straight, it's a straight line. Mm. Um, so... It doesn't really matter if you're deep there. you just got to make sure that you're rolling forward. So you've only got a quarter of a turn to go around. So mm. uh, for, for me, it, it never bothers me that if I'm, if I'm deep going into that half mile, as long as I'm traveling forward, yeah. and your momentum takes you around the turn. So, mm. uh, again, I've, I've, I've had a fair bit of luck at this, which everyone says it, it's my track, but it's more that I just understand the layout of the track. And I think, uh, you know, it, I think Jeff's just in front of me this year. Hopefully I'll compete him back, but uh, look, there's always next year and hopefully Jeff retires. Well, you've spent <laughs> all but two and a half years of your riding career in Brisbane and you spent that two and a half years in Macau when you answered an SOS call from a good friend of yours, Brisbane trainer Barry Baldwin. Now, you had a good time over there, Jim. You rode plenty of winners, but... Your wife, Ramey, had the toughest job of all because your kids, four of them, were all under six. Correct. Poor <laughs> old Ramey. She done a big job. <laughs> she done a big job, John. She oh, was, um, she, did, she did. She did. Uh, uh, I remember when I, when I left, uh, I said to her that, uh, look, let's just see how it goes. Um, they're young. We got offered a contract in, on, on, in 96 uh, over in Singapore. Yep. And that was when she was pregnant with Corey. And we were so I was gutted that I couldn't take it because it was an opportunity I thought was great. Um, and an opportunity that probably wouldn't come, come up again for a while uh, because of, you know, Rami being pregnant and us having children. And uh, so when I end up knocking it back and I was humming and harring about uh, the Macau trip and mm. uh, we had four kids under six, uh, you know, it was just crazy. Uh, <laughs> so to put her under that sort of pressure yeah. um, to say, well, look, we're going to take it this time. Uh, let's, let's go over. Let's just, let's just throw caution to the wind. It doesn't matter if it doesn't work. Mm. We can always come back home. We've got our base, um, but you know, I was just—I'm just so fortunate to have her in my life and, and, and to make you know her to make things work because in my home life is very easy, uh, and she does a great job, and you know she's she's my backbone. Well, Corey, your eldest, is now twenty. 
Georgia is 18, Madison is 17, and young Lockie is 16 and still at school, and Ramey's still there too, I'm pleased to report. <laughs> She's still there. You yeah. got you got them pretty much all right, except for the ages of the girls. Yeah, they're they're, they're one up. George's uh, George is now nineteen and Maddie's eighteen, uh. and Lockie is sixteen. So you're pretty close, John. Um, <laughs> but look, you know, I'm extremely fortunate all the way through my life, uh, my career, I should say. I've I've been really fortunate to have good people around me and and supporting me. You know. Uh, my son, um, I'm, I'm so proud of him. He's, he's worked so so hard because he, as you well know, he's worked for Sky Racing for mm. ever since he was in school. Uh, you know, from year ten all the way through his schooling, and uh, he's now moving into the navy. Uh, he's earned enough to, to uh, try something different. Um, so I'm so proud of him and Georgia and and, and Maddie. They're both going along well. They got jobs, and, and Lockie's in his final year, so. Uh, you know, it's one of those things, John. I mean, like you're always very, very proud of your kids, and they've uh, did a lot of my life. Well, Jim, they've inherited your work ethic too. I mean, there's no harder working jockey in Australia than Jim Byrne, and you're certainly getting the dividends uh, currently and in in this season in particular. Now, Jim, this fitness kick that you're on interests me greatly. You're approaching 47. Do you need more exercise at this age, or is it something you just feel you want to do? You definitely have to keep up with them. Um, obviously, the older we get, John, I think uh, it's so important that we try to keep as fit as we can. Um, with the young apprentices coming through and the younger riders coming through, uh, with Australia, we used to have this mindset that the older riders, uh, you know, they, that they seem to come... They want to be with uh, the younger riders, the young fit riders that that uh, you know come through and they're hungry and and, and whatnot. And um, it was fortunate we had Jeff Lloyd. Jeff Lloyd come in and and, and he said, well, he's the oldest of of us all, uh, and he came came in and, and and said, no, I'm as good as any of these and and better. And he showed how good he was. Um, so whilst Jeff may not have that fitness regime that I do. Um, you know, he was one of those guys that, that really opened it up to show that the older riders have got so much more to offer than, than the young youth riders. And the, uh, the younger riders, whilst they have that uh, youth fitness sort of thing, they just, they're, they're, they're just fit. Mm. I believe that the older we get, we've we got to keep our bodies as fit as we possibly can. And so I've tried to pick up my fitness regime to make sure that I'm well, I can try to match it with these younger fellows. Well, Jimmy, you don't want to come to the end of your riding career and have nothing to do. So you've invested a lot of money and a lot of time in establishing Jim Burns Saddlery. You've set a little shop up underneath the house. You've bought sewing machines, pattern stitches and all sorts of things. And uh, you're down there every spare moment. You're, you're making gear and repairing gear for other jockeys. Yeah, correct, John. Um, a number of years back, uh, when my manager Trevor Lansky, he was he was my manager for fifteen or so years. Uh, he he bought a equestrian business, and uh, he started to obviously move out of managing jockeys. He had Scott Seymour, Starthick, had Seymour, myself. Uh, He's, he was extremely beneficial to my career 
uh, and important to my career because he actually taught me how to do my form and, and, and taught me how to read races properly. I mean, like we read them as, as jockeys, but to read them from the outs, uh, the way other people read them, speed mm. maps and, and what, um, he was, he was moving away from that because he bought his equestrian business. And I thought, okay, well, who's going to manage me hereafter? But, uh, he was able to give me that bit of time just to, I said to him, I said, just give me a year, year and a half, just to set up this other business before you retire because he was needing to retire. Mm. Um, only just to set this up. Uh, so, and then I can focus back on my riding again. So for probably a year and a half, two years, uh, whilst I was taking, he was still managing me, but he was taking it easy. He wasn't taking me many rides. He wasn't, uh, he was making sure that he was giving me the opportunity to set up this other business while still earning an income. Mm. Uh, so I had to uh, just set this other business up and kind of teach myself how to reverse engineering, basically how people make things. And uh, yeah, so it, it was those two years where I kind of fell by the wayside. It was more me setting up. I could I invested mm. so much money into this. Uh, I basically put all my savings, uh, buying these machines, trying to make sure that I had something thereafter uh, because I don't want to be one of these riders that, you know, uh, that has to go back and write track work or, or, or beat myself up for the rest of my life. I don't want to do that. I want to try and make sure that I've got something I can stay into the industry. Uh, and Brett Preble's done amazing with, with Persuader. Um, you know, but whilst I never think I'll ever get that sort of, I'll, I'll ever be that successful. Mm. I think uh, as long as I can stay in the industry and, and, and make a business of it, uh, that's what I've tried to do. And, and sure enough, it's sold Australia wide now. So I'm hoping to build on it. Uh, I've still got another 10 years of riding or close to it. And, uh, you know, hopefully I'll be successful in the salary after that. Well, Jim, you're an enterprising businessman and you've been a very enterprising jockey. You've got a record you can be proud of. Uh, you're riding better than ever uh, right at this moment with a lot of strength and a lot of judgment and a lot of finesse. You can look back on a wonderful career in racing and I hope uh, you're correct when you say that you've got 10 years to go. That'll square you up with Jeff Lloyd's age. You might even go longer than 10. Well, I'm trying to. I'm trying to. Uh, as I said, Jeff's uh, one of those guys that's rewritten rewritten the uh, the book as being a jockey or, and, and, and what how old a jockey can be and, and uh, you know I'm trying to do I'm, I'm trying to do my best every time I go out there I think uh, you know I've still I'm, I'm definitely not looking to retire within the next five years or so so uh, I'll, I'll be doing my best from here on in John thanks for being so gracious with your time Jim as always appreciate it very much thank you so much John <laughs> 